0: Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays.
1: The reading is taken from Luke chapter 19, beginning at verse 1. And you can find the reading on page 1053 in the Church Bibles. I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Thank you very much, Heidi. Do keep your Bibles open if you can. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, as we open up your word, please uh, draw near to us by your spirit that we might hear and believe the truth. That our hearts might be warmed by the grace of Jesus to us, uh, your children. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Is there someone who you would be uncomfortable with becoming a Christian, them being saved and forgiven? Perhaps some obvious examples, Putin, or the man who murdered Sarah Everett. Or more local examples, that person you see and uh, you see him often and you think, he's selling drugs to teenagers, sowing addiction and ruining lives. Or that boss who made your life a misery, what if he came to Hope Explored? Or that bully who plagued your school days, is there anyone like that for you? Christianity being about forgiveness for bad people is sometimes a hard thing for us to accept. Why is that? Well, um, uh, maybe it's because we don't like the concept of bad people being forgiven. It doesn't seem right. They should get justice. Maybe it's not theory, but a reality. It's someone who really hurt us. Maybe it's because we might have to forgive them too, if God does. Maybe it's because as a church we'd have to welcome in people that we're uncomfortable with and we're not sure we'd want them around. Or maybe it feels like it undermines all the good that we've done. You know, we've been disciplined. We've been good people. We've generally tried to, hurt, to help, not hurt people. And then they get the same as us. It's not fair. Maybe it's because it actually starts to make us see that we need forgiveness too. Sin is shown up in our own lives in various ways and that's not comfortable. That's not good for our pride. Look, it's not unusual if you find it hard to accept that Christianity is about forgiveness for anyone and everyone. That's not unusual. But today we'll see why bad people being forgiven is such excellent news. Why Jesus being a friend of sinners is a wonderful thing. Ultimately, why we should not grumble at grace but rejoice in it. It's fantastic for anyone out there and for each one of us here today. Now this is the last in our summer series, um, but also this passage is sort of a conclusion to the whole central section of Luke's gospel. Luke, uh, as a gospel, begins with a few chapters about the birth and early life of Jesus, and it ends with a few chapters about the last week of his life, his death and his resurrection, But in the middle, we get about 15 chapters describing the three years of Jesus' public ministry, Uh, traveling around, meeting people, teaching, doing miracles. Uh, Last week was the final miracle, and this week is the final regular encounter with someone. And we're reminded again and again that it has been outsiders saved and sinners saved Forgiven. And so, this one last example, a tax collector, helps us to see that. Tax collectors come up uh, lots in Luke's Gospel. Uh, it's worth perhaps taking a minute just to see, uh, see the pattern of what happens with tax collectors. Uh, uh, follow with me if you will. Grab your Bibles and we'll have a little look at tax collectors in Luke's Gospel. Remember what a tax collector's like. Uh, they're not just an accountant with the inland revenue. Um, you may, there might be some tax collectors here. You're, you're fine. Uh, Tax collectors in the Bible were more like gangsters or loan sharks. They've betrayed their people. They've teamed up with the Romans, and they're gathering taxes, often by intimidation uh, and the use of force. They were hated people, and they didn't care. So there's a reason that they're the sort of classic headline sinner in Luke's gospel. Chapter 5, verse 26. Page 1033. Jesus meets a tax collector called Levi. And uh, and he says to him, Follow me. And he gets up and he follows Jesus and he leaves everything behind. But the Pharisees, they grumble about this because he's hosting a big banquet for Jesus. So they grumble. Verse 30, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Well, Jesus answers and says that this is it's for them that he came. Verse 32, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. That's why he's called a tax collector. Jump to chapter 15, page 1048. Luke chapter 15. tax collectors and sinners were all gathering round to hear Jesus and uh, and he's welcoming them he's eating with them and again the pharisees grumble about this this man welcomes sinners and eats with them so Jesus tells them three parables the parable of the lost coin uh, the, the lost sheep the parable of the lost coin And the parable of the lost son. And each parable ends with a party. Maybe later look back at those parables. Each parable ends with a party making the point. That they shouldn't be grumbling about Jesus. uh, Befriending lost people but joining the celebration. In chapter 18 verse 9 we saw this parable a few weeks ago. Page 1052. The parable of the tax collector and the Pharisee. And who went away justified before God? It wasn't the Pharisee. It was the tax collector who asked for mercy. And then finally here, chapter 19, it's a chief tax collector. And this ties up the whole theme and it concludes this whole middle section of Luke's gospel. And it ends with the line right at the end, verse 10. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That is what Jesus is all about. That's what tax collectors show us. Jesus came to save lost people, like tax collectors. But this passage itself has some unique twists to that. So let's have a look at the actual story. Jesus is passing through Jerusalem, verse one. On the way to Jericho, we wonder, who will he meet? Where will he stop? I guess the synagogue. Fair presumption. Uh, maybe speak to some of the prominent leaders in Jericho. If he were passing through Sheffield, where would Jesus stop? Probably going to the town center, some of the um, uh, see the town hall, the civic leaders. Oh we'd pop up to the northern General, wouldn't he? Say thanks to all the NHS workers for all their hard work. Probably come over to Forward. maybe after that he's heard about us, he wants to see the new building work. No, let's be honest, Jesus would be on the rough side of town. He'd meet with some of the gangs, the drug dealers, the prostitutes, because in Jericho, the two people that we're told he meets are the blind beggar, in the passage before, and in this passage, Zacchaeus. So Zacchaeus, verse 2 to 4, he's the chief tax collector, he's head of the Jericho cartel, uh, directly working for the Romans with his junior tax collectors under him, taking a cut from them all, getting very wealthy, he's well known but hated for it. And we see that he's hated from his treatment by the crowd. You see, for crowds, short people are not a problem. You just let them through and everyone else can see over them. It's tall people. You don't want to let through in a crowd. But this is an opportunity to get one back on Zacchaeus. Block him off, elbow in the face, stamp on the foot. Oh, sorry, Zacchaeus. But he's really seeking to see Jesus, isn't he? He's heard bits and he's drawn to him. We don't know why. Maybe he doesn't even know why. So he runs ahead of the crowd. Now, as a powerful man, he probably doesn't often run, so this is unusual. He climbs a tree then to see, and it's almost embarrassingly keen. But there he is, and he can see Jesus coming. It gets stranger, though. Verse 5, it seems that Jesus is looking for him too. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately I must stay at your house today. Jesus calls him by name. He knows him. Somehow, either divinely or maybe from a previous visit. And so he must know what sort of man he is, but he still seeks him out. He wants to stay at his house. Jesus, didn't we see that in those other passages? He's often staying with or eating with people. It's a, it's a sign of acceptance and friendship. It's not just a quick chat on the street. It's going to their house. And this is unbelievable to Zacchaeus. He jumps down and warmly takes him off to his house. and gives him a great welcome. But it's also unbelievable to the crowd. It's unacceptable. Verse 7 They mutter because this isn't right. And so both Zacchaeus and Jesus respond. And it's their responses which I think stand out in this story and which I'd like us to dwell on. And it's these that show us when we're tempted to grumble at grace that really we should rejoice instead. So two points from what they each say. We're going to see that Jesus befriending sinners leads to salvation And that Jesus befriending sinners leads to changed lives. So firstly, Jesus befriending sinners leads to salvation. I've reversed the order. Uh, I think that's okay. You can forgive me afterwards. Um, But we're going to start with verse 9. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house. Because this man too is a son of Abraham. Jesus befriended Zacchaeus. I guess what he had in wealth he lacked in friendships. I speculate, but there was probably a nagging dissatisfaction with his life. Maybe some of us feel that in one way or another. Uh, We've achieved wealth, or we've achieved success, or whatever it is we were aiming for in our lives, but there's a nagging dissatisfaction, maybe in a way that we've never really understood. Things are not quite right. There's a gap Well, Jesus, like no one else before, was willing to be a friend of Zacchaeus. And to the crowds, this was a scandalous thing. But to Jesus, it was an exciting thing, a special thing. The very reason he came, his heart, is to make friends with people like this. He said, today salvation has come to this house. But who literally came to his house? Jesus came. And when Jesus is accepted in, that means salvation is accepted in. Jesus is the Savior, the one who died on the cross to pay the price for our sins, the one who rose again, bringing victory over death and the promise of eternal life. So if you become friends with Jesus, you get all of that, you get salvation. That's why Jesus also says, this man too is a son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of all the Jewish people. The family of God, as it were. The people considered saved by him. And Zacchaeus would have been considered excluded because of his treachery. But Jesus says, yes, I know that. But I declare that he's included Because he's become my friend. I'm the point of entry now, Jesus says. It's not about bloodline. It's not about behavior. It's about befriending Jesus. And the point here is that we we might be prone to grumble like the crowds about grace to sinners. But Jesus wants us to be as excited about it as he is. And I think it is worth being excited about anyone. Whoever they are becoming a Christian is worth a party, whether they're a middle class person, upright looking, or someone whose life is in a mess. It's a special moment when they become a Christian. It's another human being, someone made in the image of God, being told, You won't go to hell anymore, you can come to heaven. It's all forgiven. You're loved now. Either we don't understand or we're remarkably compassionless if we're not moved by that. And the reality is that we're all in the same boat. Whatever form our sin takes, we're all rebels against God, yet Jesus is happy to be our friend. We should be rejoicing that this is true for us and for everyone else. Now Jesus called to Zacchaeus in the tree. And I wonder if God had been stirring in his heart beforehand in some way that he didn't really understand. But which led him to seek out Jesus. Well today Jesus might be calling to some here. And he might have been stirring in your hearts in a way that you didn't understand, that brought you to church today, or brought you here over the last few weeks. And perhaps Jesus today says to you, Come down immediately. I must stay with you. How will you respond? I heard this week about Kenneth Clark, who is the director of the Ashmolean Museum in Oxford, and then the National Gallery in London. In his autobiography, he briefly but honestly describes uh, when he heard the call of Jesus and how he responded. He was in Europe somewhere, and he was in a church, and as the Bible was read, he knew in his heart that God was speaking to him through it, and he later wrote these words. Wonderful as that experience was, it caused an urgent problem in terms of action. If I were to follow through on this, I would have to change. My family would think I'm going mad. So gradually the effect wore off and I made no effort to retain it. Isn't that tragic? Responding to the call of Jesus is a significant moment. As we'll see in the life of Zacchaeus in just a moment, it will lead to change. But please do respond. It's also the most joyful moment. We will join in the celebration with you. Jesus' point is that we should not grumble at grace but rejoice in it. Grace to others, however bad they might be, and to ourselves as well. But sometimes we just persist in thinking that it's not right. They're too bad to be accepted as Christians. Racists, murderers, pedophiles. The honest truth is they can be forgiven, but we don't like it. Well, let me suggest another reason why we should be excited, because it means they might change. In the criminal justice system, don't we ask, uh, what should we do with criminals? People say different things. Punish them. Yes, that's appropriate. Try to deter other criminals. Yes, serious penalties are needed to make people fear crime. But also, we want rehabilitation. We want criminals to change. And that's probably one of the biggest problems in the prison system at the moment. It seems to make people worse. But this is one of the great benefits of Christianity. It does help people change. That's why Christian prison work is such a valuable thing. But not just for criminals, for each one of us. Christianity leads to change. And so our second point, Jesus befriending sinners leads to changed lives. What did Zacchaeus say, verse 8? Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor and if I've cheated anybody out of anything I will pay back four times the amount. This is remarkable. Two weeks ago, only a chapter before, we met a rich and good man who was unwilling to give his money to the poor. But today we rich meet, meet a rich and bad man who says this. And it's extravagant. It's above and beyond what was expected. Back then, giving to the poor, apparently there was an expectation of 20%, but he says 50 And back then, when paying back for wrongdoing... There was an expectation of pay back what you owe and add on 20%. So for £100, it would be 120 But he says, I'll pay back four times. For 100 I'll give you 400 His heart is completely changed. He goes from a position of take, take, take to give, give, give. And it's all come from his new friendship with Jesus, this afternoon spent with him, from his experience of salvation. It's not that he's earning his salvation through this, but a response to salvation. This is evidence that he has been saved. You see, salvation isn't just a ticket to heaven, a clean slate of forgiven sins. It's being made a new person with a new heart and a new number one priority, which is Jesus. And so life becomes all about living for him. The blind beggar last week, he just upped and followed Jesus down the road. Zacchaeus follows him by becoming a generous giver. Every convert will experience a change of heart and life. Ways in which we were not living for God now become much less appealing. And living with and for Jesus is what we want to do with our new heart within. And the point here to grumblers is, isn't this a good thing? Isn't this also worth celebrating? People saved and changed by friendship with Jesus. It's great for the person. The new way of living is better for them. If you're considering... Uh, the, responding to the call of Jesus, I do believe it will be better for you. Even if it means making changes in your life, perhaps in the way you conduct your relationships, living God's way is better for you. It's better for other people as well, isn't it? Think of all the people blessed by Zacchaeus's conversion, people having stolen goods returned to them. People no longer living in fear. People being saved is good news for those around them. An alcoholic husband being saved should be a great relief for his wife. A workaholic boss being saved should be a great thing for their employees. A gossip being saved should be a great thing for their friends. And then it sort of all adds up, doesn't it? And, 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 and so it becomes better for the whole of society. Wouldn't Jericho have been a better place after the conversion of Zacchaeus? Honest tax systems restored, corruption being weeded out, fear replaced by trust, maybe even a knock-on effect of further conversions, a city being shaped by the grace of God. We dare to imagine it, don't we? And perhaps we can imagine it here as well. Individuals converted, but affecting the whole city. Maybe it would be a gang leader being saved, and a community becoming a safer place. Or maybe someone in a sports club being saved and just reshaping the culture of that team. Or a child being saved and bringing a gospel buzz into his classroom at school. Wouldn't it be so exciting? Jesus befriending sinners leads to changed lives, and that is such a good thing for us all. I suppose there is a question here to be asked about whether becoming a Christian, becoming a friend of Jesus, has changed us at all? Can we look back and see the difference? I hope so, but um, I hope that we are still so delighted by Jesus that we're still changing. If there's no evidence of that, it should be a cause for us to pause and to think and to reflect why is that? And the answer isn't, right, knuckle down, try harder, make that change. But consider our friendship with Jesus. Is it real and alive and joy-giving? If not, that's why there's no change. Each one of us needs to come back to him, seeing that we are lost, but then realize that whoever we are, each one of us... He came for us. He came to be our friend. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That's good news for us all. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, for each one of us, you know what's going on in our hearts. You know us. You know us by name. You might be calling out to us in some way today. Please help us to know that welcome, that grace, that friendship that Jesus offers. Whether for the first time or after many years have gone by. Please Lord, may our hearts be stirred with joy at friendship with Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.